The summer that my daughter was going into high school, she and I went on a youth and parent mission trip to the Dominican Republic. And uh, there were about 40-some people on the trip. And one day, as often happens on these kinds of trips, the schedule had to change very suddenly. And so everybody had to stop what they were doing, pack up their stuff, back into their suitcases and backpacks and duffel bags and get it out to the bus quickly. Well, by this point in the trip, kids had belongings scattered all over the dorm, so it was going to take some work to get their suitcases together. And so a number of the youth started to complain loudly, like, oh, this is such a bummer, this is so bogus, and stuff like that. Why do we have to do this? So a few of the adult chaperones said, come on, guys, let's just pack up our stuff. Didn't do a thing. And then, so the complaining went on for a little longer, and then J.D., the youth pastor, who had been in the army and was still in the reserves, stood up and commanded, all right, listen up. No more whining. Attitude is everything. And he sat down, and there was no more whining. When chaperones spoke, nothing happened. <laughs> But when J.D. stood up, he had the authority of the youth pastor. He had the authority of relationships with these kids. He had all the bearing of being military. And he had the authority of being right. So what he said happened. If you're going to follow Jesus Christ, you need to know this important truth about him. He speaks. And when he speaks, he speaks with authority. And when I became a Christian, I did not know this. Nobody told me this. But eight months later, I found it out. I didn't even really know that, like, Jesus could speak to you. After my freshman year of high school, I went on a Spanish-language immersion trip to Spain. And one night, we went to a flamenco show with all the the swirling dancing and the clacking of the feet and all the intensity and passion of Spain. And, uh, and with each person's admission, you got a free drink. And we realized Spain has no drinking age. <laughs> so pretty soon, this large round table that I and seven of my friends were sitting at filled up with eight rum and Cokes. And a lot of the kids at the table didn't like theirs, but mine went down fine. So, so I started working my way around the table and finishing up everybody else's. Pretty much cleared it. And at that, remember, I, at that point, I do not recall what I was saying, but I remember my friends thought it was hilarious. Well, the next morning, I was sprawled out across my bed, not feeling so good. And right then, the Lord spoke to me. He said it as clearly as if he'd been in the hotel room right there with me. He said, you don't need to do this. It wasn't mean. It wasn't condemning. But man, was it firm. It was drawing a line in the sand. It was like, don't do this. This is not for you. And I'd been experimenting enough to know that uh, I love the attention and laughter of my friends 
over a drink. Being loose seemed like a superpower. And I look back now and I go, what would have happened if the Lord had not spoken to a, with authority to me and if I had ignored it? I really don't know, but I know that my relationship with God would have taken a hit, right? I would have probably hurt some people. I don't know where it would have gone. But I feel so thankful that Jesus spoke to me with authority, like a lifeguard saying, there's a riptide. Get out of there. Imagine that you and I had a new feature on our Apple Watches or Fitbits, okay? Only this one does not track how well you and I sleep and give us a sleep score when we wake up in the morning. Imagine that this one tracks how much you treat the words of Jesus as having authority in your life. And based on that, it gives you a score, the authority score, or the auth score, for short. Now, based solely on your auth score, or mine, we could reasonably predict where your relationship with God is going to go. How fruitful you will be, how, uh, what other people will experience of you, your auth score will define you. So tonight, friends, I just want to help us all raise our score so that when Jesus speaks or we read his words, we will place ourselves under his authority and we will do what he says. All right, look at Mark, if you would, chapter 1, verse 21. And we're going to get a picture of his authority. Jesus and his friends go to the town of Capernaum. And when Sabbath day comes, because he's an observant Jew, he went into the synagogue and began to teach. Now, they've excavated actually two synagogues from this time period, very close to this location right here. So we have a very good idea exactly what the room looked like. In the center, there was a podium, and on the podium, the leader of the synagogue would place the Torah scroll. So Jesus, being the teacher for the day, would come up to the podium, unroll the scroll, read from it, roll it back up, and then he would sit down to teach on a stone that they called Moses' seat, meaning you're going to be teaching authoritatively. Well, the people are around like this, like in a U, like down that wall, the back wall, and this wall, and there's like three stone benches, like bleachers, and people are, you know, up on those. And every single Saturday of their lives, the people in this synagogue have listened to teachers. And what they do is they quote this rabbi or they quote that rabbi. So it's kind of like going to an academic conference and hearing a paper read. You cite authoritative sources. So, for example, they would quote maybe the great Rabbi Hillel and his famous saying, do not say, when I have free time, I will study, for you may never have free time. <laughs> Any college students here uh, note that? <laughs> you may want to write that down. Uh, or the rabbi might say, as Moses teaches in Leviticus, love your neighbor 
And as the rabbis say, that also means you must hate your enemy. But when Jesus stands up that day, it doesn't sound like that. It sounds different. Jesus says, you've heard the law that says, love your neighbor. And you've also heard the saying that says, hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies. Pray for the people who are persecuting you. And in that way, you'll be acting as true children of my father. Jesus doesn't need to quote somebody to gain authority so you'll finally believe what he says. He thinks he has the right to pronounce what these words mean. He's acting like he's the author of the book, not the reviewer. Reviewers are like, well, the author seems to be saying, the author says, here's what I meant. Now, this boldness of Jesus just blows people away. They have not heard this. They were amazed, for he taught with real authority. Now, suddenly, that authority is tested. Verse 23, a man in the synagogue who was possessed or afflicted, is actually a better translation, by an evil spirit, cried out, why are you interfering with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are. You're the Holy One of God. Now, this, this guy is being afflicted by a being or presence that is unholy. And when Jesus walks in as the Holy One of God, it can't stand it, and it yells out. Now, this demon knows Jesus' name, which appears to be an advantage in power encounters. Remember the time where Jesus says, what's your name? And he's calling itself us. What are you going to do with us threatening Jesus that like we've got a lot of people here? And everybody in the synagogue thinks, uh-oh, the evil spirits are going to win. You know, there were people in Jesus' day who tried to cast out demons. And this process took time. I was reading about it this week. Usually they would create some very strong smell to try to drive the demon away. So they might take, like, from a fish, the liver and the heart of the fish and put it on burning incense embers, and the smell of that was thought to be effective. It definitely drove something away. <laughs> then the exorcist would invoke the name of Solomon, O great Solomon. And then they would recite a very, like, kind of arcane or carefully constructed incantation. Okay? Now, when Jesus is confronted by an evil spirit, he doesn't use fumes. He doesn't have to call on Solomon. He doesn't have to say the, the, just the right words in the incantation. No magic formula. He just speaks. Be quiet. Come out. When he says shut up, the demon shuts up. When he says leave, it leaves. The demon has to obey his command because it is a lesser power being commanded by a greater power. When Jesus speaks, that's how he speaks. Now I have to pause here. I know when we hear about demons, we often wonder, is this the way ancient people were trying to describe mental illness or whatever? Not an unreasonable question. 
sometimes Christians today assign things to evil spirits that don't need to be. Uh, years ago, for example, after a service, a parishioner refused to leave the sanctuary. So I and two members of the church who were still there wanting to close up just went over and gently talked with her and tried to figure out what was going on and asked her to leave, told her that we needed to close up the building now, and she was refusing. She wouldn't do it. And so we really urged her and tried to talk to her. We said, can we help you to your car or whatever? And she was protesting in a voice different from her usual voice. And she was talking from a different identity. She was saying, you know, call me by this name or whatever. Now, I'm not a psychologist. Some of you are. But to me, it seemed probably a case of dissociative identity disorder or something similar. But I have also discovered there are some things the DSM-5 cannot explain. One time a mom asked me to pray for her teenage son because she thought he might be bothered by a demon. He was 14, I think. No history of mental illness. In fact, he'd always been a good student until recently. And now he just sat up in his room listening to kind of dark music, violent lyrics, that kind of thing. Although a lot of adolescents have done that with no difficulty, apparently. But anyway, he was willing to pray with us. So his mom and I began to pray for him. And I'm telling you, when we began to pray, he gave us this murderous look. And he began saying blasphemous things that I did not think a 14-year-old would even have ever thought of or ever encountered, let alone say. So we commanded any evil spirit to leave and never return in the name of Jesus. And when we said the name of Jesus, he went like this, like we had just sprinkled like ice cold water on him or something like that. And then he kind of slumped back and he became a normal teenage boy. I walked out of his room and I was leaving right near the door. I looked at the fishbowl sitting there, which I had noticed coming in. And when I had come in, there were three goldfish swimming around that bowl very happily. And when I was leaving, they were all belly up. And I was like, oh my goodness. I remembered that time when Jesus says the demons have to flee and they go into the pigs and the pigs don't make it. I've followed that situation, and today he's uh, healthy, uh, productive, normal, adult person, raising kids of his own. Astonishing. Now, today, friends, there are so many people talking. We have never had so many words coming our way. We have podcast upon podcast. We have Substack upon Substack. We have YouTube channel to subscribe to upon YouTube channel to subscribe to. And you know what? Many of those people are saying very wise things. They're wonderful, and that's all great. But no one speaks with the authority of Jesus Christ. If, if you or I is, are, would ever be afflicted by evil powers and someone says, I command you to leave in the name of Brene Brown... Nothing's going to happen. Now, Brene's great, right? Read her book. But ain't nothing going to happen. 
when Jesus speaks to demons, the demons have to obey. They have no choice. But here's what's different for you and me. We do. Now, let me give you a few pastoral questions to help us choose well. Okay? Here's question number one. Am I making room in my life so that I can hear the words of Jesus? I can read them or I can listen to audio of them or have distractions and boredom and disappointments in life or something else, squeeze that out, squeezing that out so that I'm not actually around his words in a receptive way. All right, question number two. If I am making room to hear Jesus speak, what is something Jesus has been saying to me? Has there been a theme in what I'm noticing? Is there a, a, like an underlying through line and I believe God is actually saying this to me right now? Or if that's not getting anything for you, you can flip it and ask, is there any area of my life that I hope he doesn't speak to? And question number three, do I know what's at stake? You see, when Jesus speaks, that revelation brings responsibility. You can ignore it. You can walk away from it, but you will be held accountable for that. Now, Jesus himself tells us this. He says, if you work my words into your life, you're like a smart carpenter who built his house on solid rock. Rain poured down, river flooded, tornado hit it, but nothing moved that house. It was fixed on the rock. But if you just use my words in Bible studies and don't work them into your life, you're like a stupid carpenter who built his house on the sandy beach. When a storm rolled in and the waves came up, it collapsed like a house of cards. What's true of every life is the rain will roll in. The storms are going to come. The sideways winds are going to hit your life. Is it going to stand? It all depends on what you and I do with the words of Jesus Christ. He speaks with authority. Amen.